Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. It's Monday, the 19th of September. Good morning, everyone. Asia Pacific markets mixed this morning in muted trade. The Kospi over in Seoul is down half a percent. The ASX 200 over in Sydney, basically flat, but still in the green. Markets in Japan are closed for a public holiday today. It's respect for the aged day. Joining me now as we break down all the market action, Ryan Huang, what do you think about children learning empathy in schools through video games? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. They can actually learn a lot through video games. So one of them, of course, is empathy and I think it's the best way to reach out to some of these kids, actually. Yeah, why fight the tide, right? That's mm. what they're interested in. Just embrace it. We talk so much about computer games and changing the brain, so why not use it to, to change the brain for the better? But I, I think there still should be room to learn from actually interacting with your pals. Yeah, and of course, actually meeting people that you should be connecting with, like, you know, yeah. having time and at an old folks' home, for example, and helping someone in real life rather than just watching it through stories or case studies. No, it doesn't beat that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with you there. So we begin this morning with a look at direct-to-deals and corporate share buybacks. Who's buying? What does it mean for stocks? The largest corporate share buyback this past week in dollar terms was by one of our local banks, OCBC. It purchased more than $12 million of its own shares. During that same period, OCBC shares rose about 1.5%. Now, in terms of number of shares bought back, Yang Zijiang Financial tops the list with a purchase of nearly 24 million shares worth approximately $10 million. And despite the share buybacks, Yang Zijiang's financials share price finished down more than 1% last week. So what do you make of the corporate share buyback board this week, Ryan? Yeah, it does show there is still action with these share buybacks. Companies still recognizing or at least perceiving their shares to be worth buying. And it paints maybe that there is still value for investors to look at when you look at the action playing out in terms of insider deals, whether it's through cash buybacks or share buybacks. So looking at the table, OCBC, like you pointed out, it's interesting to see them still continuing on the share buyback path. Um, Yang Zhijiang, followed by Capital, Wilma, Sanghua Industries. So it is going to be worth watching as the economy starts to continue its recovery and we see business normalizing further and many of these companies' share prices should benefit as a result of that. If we look at direct-to-purchases, one of the biggest deals this past week was by the construction engineering firm, the Lian Beng Group. What do you notice there? Okay, so Lian Bing Group is getting more interest from Ong Sik Chong and Sons. So this is being run by the Ong family. The this is the investment holding company by the Ong family. So this is with them raising their already big stake further. So at an average price of fifty three point five cents per share. So this will take the interest of Ong Sik Chong and Sons from. 56.56 to 58.02%. So this is just showing how much value they think the company is holding. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting not too long ago, they were trying to um, buy out the company. So this is um, something that 
we'll likely see more interest as uh, it continues. Let's take a look at that point on value. The Lian Group's revenue jumped in the past fiscal year and it looks like its order book is in good shape as well. So are the purchases by Ong Sek Chong and Sons in the Lian Group, Ryan, a sign of confidence also in the construction sector? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good point, right? If you look at the numbers, Lian Group has been doing pretty okay. It has registered a 53.2% improvement, for example, in group revenue to over $780 million. Gross profit was up nearly 40% to $83 million. So on that front, you can kind of recognize that there is a pickup in the construction industry. And as we look at more activity coming back, building activities starting to resume, this is likely to push on further. The construction order book, like you pointed out, is still looking quite resilient, $1.7 billion. And the group says it will selectively tender for public and private sector projects, taking into account prevailing market conditions. So it is still keeping its eye on the market closely um, for any surprises, so to speak. So it is, by and large, looking quite on the recovery path and looking to build on this past year. One more director deal that I want to zoom in on this week is Enviro Hub Holdings. It's an investment group which acquired a Malaysian glove maker last year. On Friday, its shares jumped 16%. And at the same time, we see a substantial director deal last week. Fill us in. All right, so we have another share purchase by an insider. So Raymond Ng, the executive chairman, he bought over 590,000 shares at 4.4 cents each. So this takes his stake up to 28.24% from 28.2%. So this builds on his recent purchases as well uh, over the past year. So it's just a sign of someone just believing in his own company and just adding on to his stake. And if you look at the earnings in the past year, 29% rise in revenue for the first half and also an expansion in gross margins from 17.1% to 24.1%. So margins are up, revenue is up, and it has its eye on the recycling business, which helped sales grow by over 14%. And it's also eyeing the glove-making industry, and this is with the recent acquisition of Pestle Glove, and it's eyeing further expansion in the healthcare industry. Enviro Hub Holdings shares are down 35% over the past year. And so it will be interesting to see if Friday's buying spurt has momentum. Let's turn to the broader market now where US stocks are coming off one of their worst trading weeks of the year. The Dow, Nasdaq, S&P 500, they all fell 4 to 6% last week. A stark warning from FedEx about its earnings and global economic trends rattled investors. Now we talked about this on Friday, FedEx shares plunging more than 20% Friday night. This week, all eyes are going to be on the U.S. Federal Reserve as it determines how much to raise U.S. interest rates. So how do you think Powell and the Fed may react to FedEx's warning about the economy? Yeah, so it's interesting to see the FedEx earnings coming through last week because it's a reflection of how the global industry pretty much is um, behaving or in a way, performing. Because when you think about shipments, everyone does shipments. So this is with FedEx now pointing to Asia as a weakness and pretty much every other industry reporting lower volumes. So that is showing that perhaps the 
interest rate hikes from the Fed in recent quarters has been to some extent successful in bringing down the economy or cooling it down to some extent, which is what the Fed wants to engineer to a soft landing if they can. So it is showing some signs of it happening and it could then feed into the Fed's decision this week that maybe they don't need to do as much as they were thinking of. They don't have to be that hawkish. So maybe taking their foot off the pedal slightly based on the latest indicators that things are starting to work and they just need to wait it out for these previous policy settings to start to trickle down to the rest of the economy. With consumer prices on the rise and inflation appearing to become more entrenched, a lot of market watchers are expecting a full percentage point increase in US rates. So what is the case, though, against that 100 basis point hike? Yeah, it's a tough one. So you have, again, a debate about what number it will be. 75 seems to be the most expected number for a rate hike, 75 basis points. But we are starting to hear a growing, I guess, um, echo or um, a corner of the market saying, hey, 100 basis points. And that voice is getting louder as you get more indications about the global inflation picture, particularly in the US where we are seeing Last week's CPI data, Consumer Price Index data, just rattling markets by being hotter than expected. And that really fed into expectations, particularly when we saw Nomura, for example, raising their forecast from 75 to 100. So this is just showing that investors believe the Fed will want to err on the side of caution to overhike rather than to underhike. And this is probably going to be one of the point of debate in the coming days, in the coming weeks, to see if the Fed will indeed be overhiking or and also guiding for potential overhiking in the coming meetings. So this is something that will be coming down to the line as we see what the Fed will be doing. Now, rising US rates have fueled demand for the US dollar, and that is good for some assets, not so good for others, though. And the dollar's recent strength has battered commodity markets. Gold sank to a two-year low last week. Other metal prices on the retreat as well. So how are commodity traders preparing for this week's Fed announcement? And what should we watch out for? Yeah, I think of a stronger or higher currency, or higher interest rate is a stronger currency. So that has implications for other countries that are not the United States. They pay for prices in US dollars. When a stronger dollar is in effect, it means their own currencies are weaker. So they effectively pay more for whatever commodities, for example, they are paying for. Oil is priced in US dollars. Every other commodity is priced in US dollars. So when that happens, it typically can lead to a drop in demand. When things get more expensive, you cut down all your expenses, at least for now, Mm -hmm. and that could lead to then a drop in demand and then drop in prices. So this is what commodity um, traders will be watching out for to see how much of an impact the interest rate hikes could squeeze demand. And of course, the big one is China, where we are seeing the Chinese yuan weakening by quite a bit, and they are one of the largest buyers of commodities. So this is one to watch to see how much central banks elsewhere in Mm -hmm. Asia and other countries will be reacting and keeping in lockstep with the Fed. All right, it's a lot to take in. But aside from the Fed, Ryan, what else is on investors' radars this week? Oh, it's 
a bit of an alphabet soup this week. You've got the FOMC, the BOE, of course, for England. They will be reporting on Thursday. The BOJ, also end of the week. You also have a slew of other central banks. Uh, they include Taiwan, Indonesia, the Philippines, Norway, Switzerland, Sweden, all of them this week. So they will pretty much be trying to keep pace with the Fed when it comes to policy settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to the rest of the week, a couple of things to watch out for will be the lifting of restrictions in Chengdu. So that could be good news for Chinese markets alongside reports that Hong Kong might be ending its hotel quarantines. Uh, And also later on in the week, Tencent Music will be starting their trading in Hong Kong. So that will be one to watch. And looking to the end of the week, have you been to Bhutan? They will be reopening to foreign visitors on Friday. So Yay. book your tickets, Michelle. Just in time. For the weekend, get away. Uh, do you know, I've been dying to go. Our next story this morning has to do with the world of cryptocurrency and Singapore. And I'm not sure, Ryan, if you've been following the story of Do Kwon, the South Korean crypto player who developed Terra Luna, the so-called stable coin that turned out to not be so stable. It collapsed last year and with it, billions of investments evaporated into thin air. Well, the South Korean court had issued a warrant for Do Kwon's arrest and South Korean officials are considering revoking his passport. But a big question is, where is Do Kwon? Until recently, he was here in Singapore. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. So what's happened is um, everyone's been trying to look for Do Kwon and for some time he was here in Singapore and finally we had a bit of a press statement from the Singapore police to say he is not here anymore. So this kind of triggered a bit of a tweet spree from him to say that he is fully cooperating with authorities and with governments and will continue to do so. So that is where it is right now, that he is in a place somewhere on earth cooperating with those who want to reach out to him. And like you pointed out, this is one of the big stories in the cryptocurrency space in the past year. Luna, Coin, which was supposed to be stable, was... Mm. Far from it, and it just pulled down so many investors, not just individual investors, but also many hedge funds. So everyone wants a piece of him right now. Except he's unavailable for comment, unless you... Unless you can reach out to him tweet on Tweet him. Yeah. <laughs> from somewhere in the world. Now, time now for corporate news and a quick game of up or down. Are you ready, Ryan? Let's go. Let's look at Meta. All right, Meta. I will go down. So latest headlines around Meta is that it's oversight board found plenty of flaws with its Facebook content moderation practices. So I don't think that's a good look. Meta shares plunging 14% last week. In fact, they've almost fallen back to their pandemic low. Let's look at TikTok's parent company, ByteDance. All right, I am going with up for this one. So ByteDance is buying back $3 billion in shares from its investors after its IPO plans stalled. So I guess it's good news that investors can have a way out. So yes, the plans have stalled for ByteDance IPO, but the company is now planning to buy back its own shares to the tune of three billion US dollars, which is a lot and should definitely please shareholders. So I'm going to give ByteDance an up. All right, what happened after the merge to Ethereum, Ryan? Yeah, that big merge everyone's talking about, that huge milestone where it was supposed to be greener, more efficient, just turning away from those mining rigs. And... It did not react, no, respond with a rally post-event because mm. I think a lot of the news was 
priced in. People saw it coming. It was talked about for a long time. In fact, the so-called parallel network was running for almost two years. So everyone could see it coming. And everyone, or a lot of people priced it in. So no surprises that FT Ethereum, the price of Ether, dropped post-merge. So I'm going to give Ether a down for now. The merge did go smoothly, but Ether's value has dropped. It's down more than 20% over the past week, and it is trading at around 1350 US dollars per token. So down for Ether, for now, for me. HR Net Group. All right, I'm going with an up, and this is with HR Net Group just being labeled with a buy call from DBS Group Research. Target price, $1.08. DBS believes the recruitment company is well poised to benefit as a dominant player as Singapore's labor market remains tight. So, benefiting from the recovery in the economy, HR Net Group is an up. So DBS expecting HR Net Group to grow and up for me as well. Let's check in on how stocks are doing this morning. We are 22 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index finished flat on Friday, marginally higher for the week at 32.68. So how is the Blue Chip Index doing this morning? Or as to STI, mm. we are slightly in the green by 0.1% at 3,271. So pretty much tracking the rest of the region, a subdued picture. And this is with, I guess, a bit of a quieter trading morning. We've got Japan out for a holiday. And so far, markets just continuing the cautious picture. We had negative handover from Wall Street and they will be or there will be a lot of waiting and seeing as we approach Thursday morning's FOMC decision. And so right now, just slightly in the green, coming off the back for the STI, a two-day winning streak. And looking at the 30 constituents on the STI, pretty much split across the middle between red and green. At the bottom of the table, we've got Yang Jijiang down 1.9% for by Dairy Farm International and Jardine Saga and Carriage at the top of the table right now on Maple Tree Logistics Trust, mm. Thai Bev and City Dev. And we were talking about Lian Bing just now, mm-hmm. uh, that share buyback from um, from his investors or one of his biggest controlling shareholders. Lian Bing is now up by 0.9% at 54 and a half cents. All right, time for a bit of goth this morning. I'm not sure if gothic theatricality is your thing, Ryan. Are you a fan of Phantom of the Opera? Ooh, I think everyone's a fan to some extent. It's something You've seen it? We've all grown up with. We know the story. Mm-hmm. I've seen it on TV, oh, an okay. adaptation of it, not at the opera setting. All right, have because, you been there? Yes, I have. I've watched it live, you know, the giant chandelier falling. Live. Where was this? Quite an experience. Yeah, in Singapore, actually. So Phantom of the Opera over on Broadway is its historic longest running show. But the curtain is going to come down for the last time in February because the musical has just not been able to meet its running costs. But there are opportunities to watch Phantom live, of course, London, Sydney, and perhaps soon even in China. But Ryan, it seems that while live performances are back, uh, audiences have been slow to return. Do you think this is just about live theatre? What do you think? Yeah, I think we could see more of this happening. You know, All these long-running shows, I think we've kind of taking it for granted that they will be there forever. But uh, to some extent, it will start to wane, especially when audiences grow older and they move on to other things. Mm. And I guess for a young audience, they might not want to embrace Phantom of the Opera as much as the older audiences, right? So we can only watch it so many times. And then 
on top of that, you have the production costs. That goes up. At some point, costs versus interests, that intersection and the sweet spot will start to diverge. And then it will just get more expensive to run it and not enough people to watch it. Mm. And then that is when you have what's happening right now. Phantom of the Opera crashing its chandeliers for the last time. In Broadway, at least. Some say the magnetic lure of the couch is too strong to overcome. You know, that's what the pandemic has, has taught a lot of people. The couch can be extremely entertaining. Mm, unless they put it on Netflix, Phantom of the Opera. Exactly. Uh, do you find yourself passing on you know, these invitations to these big events unless you absolutely have to? Mm, it really has to be a big draw for me right? to step out of my home these days, yeah. right? Because you have to dress up, you have to go through the nines and just make an effort to... Well, I guess I'm used to not meeting as many people and socializing as much after the past few years. Yeah, I think you're not alone there. And uh, the Phantom's thinner crowds would be a mark of people agreeing with you, I think. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.